I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, and we're going to talk a little basketball today. So Eric Ruvon is here with us. Eric, how are you? I am doing wonderful, man. It's been a minute. You know, football season is, I think everybody knows how that's gone. It's really hard to put that ball down and pick up a different one right now, but let's see what we can do here. Yeah, it is. And we're talking to another guy who's kind of, I guess you're still got to do a lot about football, I'm sure. Casey Starr, which they go be writer, Kellis Robinette. Kellis, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's football season until New Year's Day. It's going to go all the way to the very bitter end of the year. But yeah, we got some good basketball going on too. So let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. First, we do have to talk about the football. You know, one thing that we we talked about last week when we talked about the game was what the crowd was going to be like. I think we guessed it would be like a 60-40 split for TCU. It's hard to tell with all the purple, but what would you guess it was? Well, it was really hard. It was downright impossible because everybody there was wearing purple. <laughs> It'll be kind of like the bowl game coming up with Tennessee and Clemson where you can't necessarily tell who's cheering for who, but you could get a, a little bit of a glimpse for it, you know, after touchdowns and stuff. Half the stadium was going wild, then Kansas State would score. The other half of the stadium was going wild. I'd probably say Kansas State had a little bit more of an advantage. I'd say if anything, it was maybe 55, 45, 60, 40 in their favor. Okay. And I was just impressed overall. There really weren't many open seats. There were some tiny pockets here and there, but had almost 70,000 in the place, biggest crowd since 2018. And both those teams kind of proved you don't need Oklahoma and Texas in that game to make it a big deal. But yeah, I, I think Kansas State had a little bit more fans, even though they had to make the drive. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that, you know, obviously the defining moment from that game is going to be that goal line stand the Kansas State defense made in overtime. You know, do you think anyone expected that to happen? It's going the momentum that had shifted all the way over to TCU at that point. Yeah, at that point, I still thought Kansas State was going to win, but I thought it was going to be because TCU scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point, Kansas State answered and went for two and won in that fashion. So I was thinking we'd have, you know, a dramatic uh, walk-off, two-point conversion with Will Howard running in or Deuce Vaughn doing something crazy. But instead, it's Daniel Green, Eli Huggins, and Khalid Duke who go down in history as making the goal line stand. And it's kind of cool to think about. You don't have too many games that end with defensive stops like that. You know, in Kansas State lore, you've got Arthur Brown tackling Art, you know, Robert Griffin the third against Baylor. You got Trey Walker tackling Jacoby Harris at the goal line against Miami, but that's about it. 
and none of those were for Big 12 championships. So this stepped it up. So yeah, you know, well, that's two straight Big championships now. You know, with those State Baylor last year, it kind of ended. In a I know. Way. <laughs> I know. You want defensive? You walk off defensive tackles. Yeah. You go to, yeah. Uh, you go to Arlington. Well, yeah. So we know that Kansas State football obviously exceeded expectations greatly. You know, the fun season. And Kansas State basketball, it's still, I feel like, you know, they haven't played a lot of great teams yet, but how would you say they're performing versus preseason expectations so far? Well, I mean, they've surpassed them, not as much as football, but I would not have expected them to be 8-1 right now. I mean, like you said, they've benefited a little bit from an easy schedule, like that Cal game, you know, originally you think, oh boy, playing a Cal, that seems like a pretty good game. Well, Looking at Cal right now, they are zero and nine. Yeah, I saw they, they lost their leading scorer. <laughs> I think he tore his ACL today or something. So that's not good. Just keeps getting worse. Uh, so yeah, it's funny at the time, you know, it's like, oh, we went into the Pac-12 and won this great road game. Uh, I mean, no, everybody does it. But hey, I mean, I got to give them credit. They beat Nevada. They beat LSU. They beat Wichita State. They're all top 100 Ken Palm teams. Abilene Christian came out pretty hot on them from three-point land, and they found a way to stop that and come back and win. So I think they're doing as good as really anybody could have expected. I think getting the trophy in the Cayman Islands was a real nice feather in their cap. And the thing they got to do now is they just got to figure out how to kind of put it all together for one night. Certain nights they can play defense like they did against Wichita State. Other nights they can play offense like we saw, you know, them put up 96 against Nevada. Other nights they can't play defense. Other nights they can't shoot the ball. So finding some kind of consistency going forward is ultimately going to decide how good or bad this team is, I think. You know, I think it's been really nice to see these guys come out, though. Like you said, some nights you're playing defense, some nights you're playing offense, you know, that sort of thing. I think other than running into that absolute buzzsaw that was that dude in the middle against Butler, I don't remember his name right now, Bates, I think it was. Mm -hmm. You know, other than running into that buzzsaw, the guys have shown that they can win a game by scoring or they can win a game by keeping the other team from scoring and that sort of thing. I think that's really nice just from a flexibility standpoint that they just that they've shown for not having a, a lot of players that play together a lot, they've shown the ability to find a way to win basketball games. And it's been nice to see that so far this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, the thing I think I appreciate most about this team so far is that they're just a lot more fun to watch, kind of the style of basketball they play and that the athletes they have. You know, you didn't see a lot of Bruce Weber teams have an alley-oop where three guys go up to try to grab it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... That was always kind of a real pet peeve of mine in the Bruce era. It didn't seem like, unless it was, you know, Kamal Stokes throwing the ball to Xavier Sneed, the alley-oop dunk was never their forte. This team really can do it. And yeah, that was, I've never seen a crazier play than that when three guys are going for the alley-oop. But yeah, I think you nailed it. Athleticism, speed, length, you know, it's kind of cliche to say at this point, but they're a lot like Baylor was when Jerome Tang got there the first time. They kind of got things rolling under Scott Drew, it'll take a little bit of time before they, you know, get the guys in that they want and they develop them up just like you saw at Baylor, but they fit that mold so far. Yeah, for sure. And do you think, I mean, is the crowd responding? Are you seeing more fans than you normally see at some of these non-conference games? Or more uh, energy well, not, not, not so much against Abilene Christian. That was, I guess, um, you know, hangover day after you see Kansas State beat TCU for the Big 12 Championship, beat Wichita State in a rivalry game. Hardly anybody showed up on Tuesday, but I think we can give K-State fans a pass on that one Tuesday night against Abilene Christian. Who wants to go see that? But I've been very impressed with the crowds, honestly, especially the student section. When they played UT Rio Grande Valley in that first game, I was kind of like floored, like, whoa, what, what's everybody doing here? This is like, a, you know, maybe not quite a Kansas crowd from the student section, but, you know, middle of the season, Big 12 game, they were hyped. 
Same for UMKC. And uh, unfortunately was not there for Wichita State, but they had almost 10,000 in the arena for that one. They were fired up. Mm-hmm. One thing you've really got to give credit to Jerome Tang for uh, early on in the season, he's, he's really got the people on campus to buy in. And he's gone out and talked to seemingly everybody. If you're in a fraternity, sorority, you're in a dorm, if you do anything, if you're involved with any kind of campus group, I think Jerome or somebody on his staff has come by and talked to you and tried to get you out to the games and it's worked. People have uh, bought in. And I also will say, it's like you mentioned, they're just more fun to watch. There's more energy in the building. One underrated thing I would say is they've added a DJ this year, which uh, has actually (laughs) kept the energy up. I like it. Okay. Okay. They also moved the media to a better seating area too. I, I don't think that has any. Yeah, I actually, I wanted to to ask you about that because I don't. It sort of looks like you guys are in cages almost. In the, <laughs> it, it does look like that from the floor. Uh, yeah, no, they drop a thing down. We're we're stuck there all game. People throw the bottles, and <laughs> crashes. Uh, no, they just moved us up high, and you know, I think originally they were kind of when they moved us, they kind of. You know, they thought they were punishing us, moving us farther away. But I really like it. We don't have to sit there and look over the cheerleaders and everything anymore. We get a better yeah, vantage point. True. I'm just sad that it didn't happen a little bit earlier because we would have been farther away from Bruce yelling. Constantly <laughs> yeah. And then you talk about players. I think we have to start with Keontae Johnson. I don't know if there's a better story in the whole country than, you know, what he's come back from. And, and right now he looks like he could contend for a spot like an all big 12 team. You know, do you think he can continue to, to put up those numbers? I think he can. I mean, everybody calls him a bucket getter. I'd agree with that. If anything, my biggest critique of him is he's not aggressive enough. There are certain times where he kind of yields the floor a little bit too much to Marquise and just stands in the corner and watches everybody else run things. And, you know, when he does get the ball, though, he makes things happen. He'll beat you off the dribble. He can finish really more with his right hand, but he can finish with both hands. I've been really mostly impressed with how he shot from three. He can score inside, he can score outside, and he can go rebound, too. So he's one of the better players Kansas State has had in, in a while, really, since their last championship team with Dean Wade and Barry Brown on it. So I, I've been very impressed with him. I really thought there'd be some rust, especially in those first couple of games, having not played in two years. Yeah. I kind of thought he'd be on a minute count with his heart condition and everything. But it's not been that way. He's, you know, they're playing him 30 plus minutes. He's putting up good numbers. And yeah, if you're looking for a feel good story in college basketball, he's the guy to look at right now. Well, here, here's a question for you talking about Rust. You know, when he was back at Florida, he it was, you know, he was all SEC while he was there, freshman or sophomore year. I forget which year, which year it was. I mean, people were talking about him being an NBA talent. Is what he's doing right now actually his Rusty? Is there a possibility of that? It might be. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, but yeah, maybe. I mean, you think his I mean, ceiling is only he is shooting fifty percent from three. It's hard to shoot much better than fifty percent from three. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, it's like I'm just impressed with the level of basketball player he is. You know, period. You know, I I didn't know much about him before. You know, when he was playing at Florida, and then obviously being out for a couple of years because of his health issue, it, like you just kind of lost sight of him and everything like that. And you know, it, it was a story to me. It wasn't necessarily, hey, we're getting this, you know, the, this you know quasi generational talent to come into K State when we picked it up. Hey, it's a cool opportunity for him to go play one final year, you know, Division One basketball. And dude's a stud. Dude's a basketball yeah. player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say to your point, you know, is he rusty? I I am definitely looking forward to, I think a game will come where they're behind, they're trailing, they feel the pressure to make something happen. And he kind of goes, you know, 
LeBron James or something and says, get out of my way. Does he go ham? Yeah. Does he go ham? Yeah, I think he could have a game where he, you know, puts up 35, 40 points, something like that. And if he does, then, yeah, you could look back at this time right now and say, boy, he was just getting warmed up. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, like kind of like you alluded to, for better or for worse right now, the clear leader on the court is Marquise Noel. And it, you know, feels like he stepped up his level so far this year for sure. You know, how much do the other guys look to him? And, and even off the court, you know, maybe stuff we don't see as much. How much is he the leader of this team? I mean, it's him or Keontae would be the two. And I think yeah. Marquise is a little bit more talkative, a little bit more emotional. Keontae kind of strikes me as a guy of like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my job. You know, when you get me the ball, I'll score. But, you know, I'm not going to rah ride here. Marquise is definitely, it cracked me up when they played at Butler. They were down. They took him out of the game for a few minutes. And at one point, he almost kind of checked himself back into the game. He was like, you know, I've seen, I've seen enough of this. We're losing. I got to get back in, coach. So normally when guys are on the, you know, waiting to come in, they're at the scores table, they're sitting down. He was standing up, jumping, trying to direct traffic out there. I'd never really seen that from a basketball player trying to come back in the game. He was trying to be a sixth man immediately the whole time. People had to, you know, tell him to <laughs> sit down. Again, I'd never really seen that before, but that's just kind of the guy he is. He was that way last year too, but what's impressed me about him is he's figured a way to, you know, take the passion, the energy he plays with and actually channel it a little bit more into the offense. And he still takes some stupid threes every now and then. He had one yesterday against mm-hmm. Abilene Christian that, yeah, the whole crowd as he shot it was like, ah, oh, no, what are you doing? But <laughs> other than, you know, other than that one shot a game, he's really much more under control. His passes are, are crazy. Like, yeah. it's, whether it's the, you know, off the backboard to three people, behind the back or whatever. He, he's he got that stuff down. So he's improved a lot. I think he might be one of the more improved players in the conference. Yeah. And you mentioned his passing. I mean, he's had three games with at least 11 assists. You know, how much of that is improved vision, improved passing versus just better players around him? That. Ooh. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, know, I, I say, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I will expand on that comment. So when I sat down, and watched our first regular season game against Rio Grande. The immediate reaction that I had is this team has basketball players now. The last couple of years, we had athletes that we were trying to teach how to play basketball. And you just look at the guys that we have on the floor, and we've got basketball players. That takes you from six assists a game to 11 assists a game. You know, just by having other people on the floor that can score the basketball when you get it to them, you know, to a certain extent, relating it back to our football conversation, it's kind of like having Malik Knowles. All of a sudden, Malik Knowles has fingers. He can catch (laughs) catch balls that are being thrown his way. Why? Because he's got someone that can throw the ball to him and, you know, put it in his hands and, and, and that sort of thing. So for me... Marquise Noel's improvement, I'm not saying that he hasn't improved. Like, I, I think he absolutely has improved. But having a team around him has facilitated a lot of that improvement. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't argue with the assists he's put up. I mean, shoot, he's flirted already with the triple-double almost. If he could have found some way to get four more rebounds against Abilene Christian, he would have had the first recorded one in K-State history. I'm rooting for that to happen this season. I don't know if he can get 10 steals or 10 rebounds in the game, that'd be pretty cool if it happens. I think, yeah, just the more athleticism, more cutters. When he's getting them the ball in the lane, they're actually finishing for him. That's the biggest thing to me. You know, I I liked a lot of the stuff that Bruce Weber did, but he never had a big man that you could throw the ball to down low and who would actually finish. They've got that now. You can get the ball to Naquan. You can get the ball to David, you know, and yeah. Keontae when he's down there. They're all, you know, capable of catching it, turning and shooting. 
sounds simple, but we haven't seen that a lot from K-State bigs in recent years. That's been the biggest change. Now, he doesn't have Nigel Pack to pass to on the perimeter anymore, but, you know, he's making up for it in other ways. Mm-hmm. And Eric, you know, I would say that the one exception to your comment about we have basketball players, not just athletes, is probably Naquan Tomlin. And understandably, because he's only played a couple of years of organized basketball, but... You know, he's dominated against the lesser competition. What does he need to do to get to where he can do some of that stuff against Play Africa more. Or... <laughs> Play more, um, you know, to, to be honest with you. And I completely will, I will, I will absolutely concede the fact that, you know, he has not been playing that organized basketball that long or anything like that. If someone came in off the street and watched that game and did not know that, would they be able to pick up on that? He does not look like, like, I mean, he, he has moments, but holistically, he does not look like a guy that has been playing organized basketball for as short a period as he has. You know, I think that it's really just going to be understanding the anticipation side of things from him, you know, being able to, to see the game instead of the X's and O's, that kind of stuff is going to get him to where he gets better. But, you know, just talking about the positive that Naquan Tomlin brings, man, I love having a dude that's springy and he is springy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we'll talk some more about the guys. We'll take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. So another guy that's pretty springy is uh, Desi Sills. He's been coming off the bench. You know, he had that one really nice game. Was that the LSU game where he kind of went off in the second half? Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, I believe it was. Yeah. So, you know, how much is he providing them a boost off the bench right now, Kellis? I think a lot. They really only have two consistent scores every game in Keontae and Marquise. When Naquan brings it, he can do it too. When David brings it, he can score. But they're up and down. They don't do it all the time. Desi seems to be the guy you can bring in off the bench and kind of just get out of his way. He'll make something happen off the dribble. He'll get in there and score. And, yeah, looking back, he had 17 points against Butler off the bench, 16 points against Nevada off the bench, eight against Abilene Christian. So that's really his his main contribution to the team is being that third scorer, the sixth man you can put in there and spark the offense. And uh, he's been a, a nice late addition for them. The one thing I will say is that you can tell with him, like you, you said, you can't necessarily tell that Naquan Tomlin hasn't played basketball a bunch. I think you can tell with Desi Sills that he only showed up here, you know, a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't run plays to him. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why he is off, why he is coming off the bench rather than starting. He's got the talent to start. He's one of their better players. But Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's, if you look at him and Cam Carter, I mean, Desi's numbers are all just slightly better. I think he's even playing more minutes, but Cam's been the starter every game so far. Do you think that could change down the line? I think so. Yeah. If Desi can get up to speed defensively and learn to do a few more things on offense, but Cam's the more complete player. And you've seen when they when they have needed some important buckets here and there. He's always seems to be a guy who can come up with a steal, get a transition layup, something like that. And he's he's been pretty good at three pointers. So just a little bit more complete player. And I think definitely the opportunity is there for Desi to crack the starting lineup. If it happens, I think it will happen later in the year when things start to slow down for him a little bit. 
Can, can I ask that he actually doesn't? I think <laughs> the game that he has right now is an amazing compliment as a six man coming in off the bench. I, you know, I, I think that if you swapped those two out and looked at Cam coming on as six man, I, I, I don't know. There's just something about the, the energy and the passion and the, and the ability to go get a bucket that Desi brings to the table, that if you get into that second man rotation and pull him out of that, I feel like we lose out on a little bit of that. And I'm just really comfortable with Desi coming in as a six man. I think he's good enough to start. I absolutely think that, but I really like how he fits in at that six man spot. Yeah. I agree with that. Kind of like Cartier Jada coming off the bench, you know, yeah, to help out. Yeah, exactly. Like James Harden back in his early days, right? The Thunder. <laughs> Stick with lefties. <laughs> but so well, last night, you know, in the Abilene Christian game, we saw David Gasson really kind of explode 23 points and nine and nine shooting. You know, you take that every night. How much does Kansas State, you know, need him to become more of a scorer like that? Like, obviously, not 23 points a night type good, but once you get into the Big 12 play, how much does K State need him as an interior scorer? Well, they need it. Like you said, I don't know that they need 23 every night, but if he can give them, you know, the neighborhood of 10 and 5, something a little better than that. And yeah, they'll take it. I think he's grown into a pretty good player, and I think he can be an actual uh, pretty good mismatch at the five, being six nine and as fast as he is. It seems like one of their favorite plays is to you know get it to him on the top of the key, fake some kind of move, and then just let him dribble past everybody and go get a layup. And I think he'll, I think that'll be available for him in Big Twelve play, just because so many teams have you know still a lumbering center out there at times, and he's not that. So, yeah, I think he brings something good to the table at the five spot. But they definitely need, I think, Ishmael or Baby to get healthy here and help him out because I don't see him playing as many minutes all the time like he did in that game. And they need a little bit more depth there. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and you mentioned Ish, and, you know, he's always been kind of a, a defensive liability and you really need him to be shooting well. But, you know, his it kind of shows up more on this team when you've got so many athletes. So. You know, kind of where does he fit in in this group? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you would hope he'd do the same thing that David does, right? Stick him at yeah. the five, yeah. create a mismatch, step outside and shoot some threes. The real problem with him, though, is that, like you saw it in that Butler game. When Bebe was out, the first big off the bench was Ish, and that Bates guy just killed him. Yeah. You know, he's just going right at him, scoring anytime he wanted. So he's got to get to a point where he can, you know, play serviceably on defense hit a few threes. If he can do that, then, then that's great. They'll take that all day. Just a question, can he get to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ish, Ish is in a tough spot because, I mean, it, we saw this last year and we're seeing it again this year, and I'm not sure, you know, how the injuries that he's apparently dealing with are affecting him so far this season, but he's just kind of a tweener. And it's hard to garner, you know, consistent minutes as a tweener. If you're not fast enough to guard smaller guys, but you're not big enough to guard bigger guys, I mean, it, it's hard to put you in there, you know, unless you're unless you're really scoring the basketball and he, and he doesn't have the offensive firepower or the, you know, just the, the automatic, you know, from three or something like that that you typically see with that kind of defensive liability coming in off the bench. So I think he's got a place to fit in on this team, but it, as it stands right now, there's not a significant role for him there just because of the other people we've got on the squad now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like Naquan Tomlin is doing what they wish he would be doing. You know, he's a, he's an oversized wing, basically. Mm-hmm. Then they stick him in at the four or five, and he, he creates mismatches and does stuff. He's just uh, just a little bit quicker, a little bit more talented than Ish is. So. But the one thing, I mean, every few games we've seen in the past when Ish is hot, and he'll make threes. 
mm-hmm. he can oh, yeah. he can make stuff happen out there. It's just a question of can he play good enough defense to where the the coaching staff says, all right, let's put him out there, let's get some threes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it, shooting wise, percentage wise, he's the second best three point shooter on the team. You know, just shy of forty two percent. But at the same time, it's like you know forty two percent. Forty two percent sounds good unless you're a defensive liability. Then that number needs to be a little bit higher if you're not going to be able to guard somebody on the other end. Mm-hmm. And then just speaking of the defense, I mean, as a whole, you know, Bruce Weber teams are typically pretty efficient defensively. You know, as Jerome's saying, obviously known for the no middle defense. How much of a change has that been and how have they adjusted to that? I think it's, well, a lot of the, I mean, so many I mean, of the players who, yeah. who ran the old one weren't around. So <laughs> it's really just Ish and Marquise who are adjusting, but I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. They did obviously a really good job against Wichita State. Against Butler, where they struggled is a lot of times they would kick the ball inside to their big man. And there was just a lot of, a lot of confusion rotating. David or Ish would be defending him. They think there was a guy coming to, you know, defend him on, on the baseline. Wasn't always helped there. That's how they scored a bunch of their points. Once they adjusted, then they killed him the other way. That was just kind of a weird game for them. Uh, they looked much better against Wichita State. And I thought it was actually pretty uh, encouraging that against Abilene Christian, they came out with one defensive game plan. It was the wrong one. They hit a bunch of threes early. They were all open. They were down 23-10. They call timeout. They switch things up. And the whole rest of the game, that isn't there for them. They make the adjustments to close out on three. And they hold them to, I guess, if they were up 23 10 early they only hold them to you know 41 points the rest of the game they only hit two more threes so i think that showed a really good adjustment ability from this team that they were able to figure things out there and it'll be harder against big 12 teams you can't just slip a switch against those guys but it at least shows what they're capable of it did seem like they made some adjustments against lsu too they were having some troubles early with the athleticism they were facing there and, and then they, they came around and, you know, obviously ended up holding them to 59 points. I think that was probably yeah, the best preview we've seen of, like, facing Big 12 caliber athletes, right? Yeah, and the only two games I've said I would say they look bad on defense were Nevada, where they just kind of got in a track meet, and the Butler, like, where, where we said they just kind of ran into a buzzsaw. The team was shooting hot, had a good big man. Uh, unfortunately, there are quite a few Big 12 teams that have those same things, but other than those two games, they look pretty good in that game. Yeah. So looking forward, I think they've got the three games left before conference play begins. And, and one of them against a Nebraska team that just beat Creighton. So maybe that'll be tougher than we thought. But, you know, what do you guys think that we can learn from these last three games before a Big 12 play? Why don't you start, Eric? Learn? What can we learn from the next three games? For me, I just want to skip Big 12 play right now. But <laughs> I I don't know how much we're gonna I don't know how much we're gonna yeah. learn. I think to, at this point, even though we haven't exactly played uh, Murderer's Row by any stretch of the imagination from a schedule perspective, we can kind of see who this team is, what they can do so far, everything like that. I think it's gonna be what can we learn? I don't know. What would I like to see? I'd like to see some improvement on the turnovers. I'd like to see yeah. us hang on to the ball a little bit more. I really hope that our shooting performance from the free throw line against Abilene Christian does not become a problem. Up till that game, I think we had been shooting pretty well from the free throw line. That's another one of my key markers for whether or not you have athletes or basketball players is can you shoot free throws? We've shot free throws really well, but the 55% efficiency from the stripe against Abilene Christian wasn't exactly spectacular. And beyond that, it's it's court time. You know, I think I'd like to see some people get healthy because uh, 18 games in the Big 12, man, it beats the hell out of you. 
it beats the hell out of you. And we're going to need, if we don't learn how to defend big guys, we're going to need 15 fouls from them every night. So we, <laughs> we got to make sure all those guys can, all those guys can play. So yeah, learn. I'm not sure, but I'd like to see some improvement on some of those things that'll keep us in basketball games that uh, we might be outmatched. Yeah. Yeah, finding the number two big, you know, the yeah. number two five, I think would be very important. Right now, I was kind of thinking about this today. If the two guys that are out right now can't get healthy, I, I wonder how much they might regret redshirting Jarrell Colbert um, mm. just because he's a big body. Maybe he can use a developmental year. I, I'm not going to disagree with that, but he can foul. He can block shots. I think he could be valuable in the Big 12. I, I hope they don't end up regretting that they just have him on the bench all season. But if Bebe and Ish get healthy, I don't think that'll be too much of an issue. I think I'd like to see a little bit better three-point shooting. They were actually at a pretty good clip, like in the middle of the Cayman Islands tournament. But I'm looking now, they're down to averaging 32.5, ranks 214th nationally. Not the greatest. They need to figure out a way to get a few manufacturer, a few more open threes, and not just have Marquise shooting when he feels like it. Because like you said, Keontae's a heck of a three-point shooter. You might as well find some way to get him a few open looks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that Nebraska game will be interesting. I, I mean, I'll be kind of half asleep when they play Incarnate Word and Radford, but yeah. Nebraska, yeah. that really could be. I mean, they beat Creighton. They've got a pretty good Ken Palm rating. That could be, you know, in Kansas City, that could be a fun game. I wouldn't have thought that coming into the season. So if we're going to learn anything, that's going to be where it happens. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I wonder, and this is maybe looking too far down the road, but has you guys talked to Keontae at all about what it's going to be like for him to play against Florida in late January, whatever that is? I have not. Maybe I asked him one question at some point, but I, I yeah. think it's – so when is that game? They come in on January 28th. I think the easy yeah. thing for him will be that, you know, it's kind of like the K-State team. They've turned over quite a bit, different coach, different yeah. players. Yeah. The only real thing that'll be the same is the uniforms. I think it would be harder for him if he was going to Gainesville and playing again. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have them in coming into Manhattan, you know, I bet it'll be weird for him. He said he's got, you know, no ill will toward them or anything. But to have spent so much time there, it's got to be weird. And that'll yeah. be another storyline when it comes up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, I think Jerome Tang, like you said, he's, he's really endeared himself to the community and seems like he, he's always smiling. You see him more than we do, Kellis. Have you ever seen Jerome Tang in a bad mood? Ooh, not really. Not really. Even when they lost at Butler, you know, he wasn't thrilled about it, but, you know, found ways to talk about how excited he was for the Big 12 football championship, how great it was to play in Hinkle, all this stuff. The only thing he doesn't really seem to like talking about is injuries. He, uh, very, very plays all that stuff very close to the vest, almost like Bill Snyder. He, when you at, like, even like with Bebe, he's obviously got a walking boot on his right or whatever foot it is. And it's like, well, clear, you know, how's he doing? And it's like, oh, he's, you know, I can't even talk about it. Well, he's clearly, clearly dealing with a foot injury. Yeah. Um, that's really been the only thing he's kind of wishy washy on. But otherwise, yeah, he just always got a smile on his face. And thank you, you know. He's waited a long time to be a head coach. He's finally doing it. They're eight and one. There's not been too much to be upset about. Yeah. Uh, it will be interesting to see what he does when they play Baylor twice this season, though. I think that's going to be very conflicting for him. Yeah. I've got a few times talking about, you know, watching Baylor on TV and still using the we, the collective we. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing I want to talk to you about, because you're closer to them than we are, you know, the K-State social media team has been so great and football and basketball both. Do you have any insight into 
how that magic fires. <laughs> well, it's uh, they've got a pretty good gig. They get unlimited access to all this stuff. They can take all the yeah. video they want. And at the end of the day, they put it together in a cool little package. So yeah. team that's good enough to win the Big 12 championship with all kinds of cool videos. It's going to look cool. So kudos to them for making it work each and every week. I know the fans love it. Yeah, yeah. As far as like access, how has that changed for you from Weber to Tang? Is that much of a difference? Oh, uh, it's, I mean, it's been worse, but I'm not going to complain about it. Um, yeah. There's more exciting things to write about. Yeah. And I, I honestly just don't know if, you know, being a first-year head coach, if Jerome Tang really knew exactly what the, you know, not requirements, but knew what the tradition was with that stuff. Like, he didn't have a media day. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't let anybody talk to Keontae Johnson until Big 12 Media Day, and you know, mm-hmm. that's what that's the guy everybody wanted to talk to. So <laughs> yeah. that part of it was a little weird, you know, getting to talk to the team in the preseason and get people hyped about it. Um, we weren't didn't really get much of a chance to do that. He decided to just go out and talk to everybody and use social media to get people excited. So it worked. And uh, I would say once the season started now, you know, it's been fine. We get to talk to players you know, once a week, we get to talk to him once a week. He's good after game. So it's not like I'm complaining about it, but Bruce was more open, did have more availabilities. But I would take what we've got right now where more people are interested in it than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. Well, so we're getting kind of towards the end here, and normally that's where we ask for predictions on the upcoming game. Obviously, we're not going to ask you to make a prediction for the Incarnate Word game, but <laughs> instead let's oh, talk about – I'm glad I actually get that one right. <laughs> yeah, I guess you were you were what a point off last night in the eleven the Christian I, game. I was I was one off each team. I had eighty sixty five. It ended up eighty one sixty four. Yeah, so close. Yeah. Could have impressive. actually got it right. <laughs> but instead, I wanted to ask you. Uh, I can't remember. Was it? I think it was Fran Fraschilla or somebody else went on Twitter and said, "Hey, Jerome Tang's got this team playing well. They could finish as high as six in the Big 12. And you know, he was trying to compliment the team, but a lot of K State fans took it as a like a backhanded compliment. I think like only six. What is that? So, I mean, for you guys, what is the ceiling for this team? Oh well, I mean, I, I guess I got to say first. I don't want to <laughs> anybody here. Um, no, I, first probably is a little too much with Texas and Kansas and Baylor yeah. the way they're all playing. But you know, I, there's really no reason why they couldn't uh, finish right there in the middle of the pack if, if they really caught fire and all the things we were talking about. They need to improve if they go out and improve those things. And yeah, they could finish in about that spot. The thing that's hard to just judge it's like i'm looking at ken palm right now who's the worst big 12 rated team is it is yeah. it kansas state <laughs> it might I be. guess uh hold on here so i yeah, know kansas... i know i looked this i know i looked this morning and lunardi had nine big 12 teams in the field of six <laughs> including k-state, yeah. it's, k-state first, can, can we just state say out. that it's ridiculous that lunardi has a bracket out yeah. in early december but yeah so what, you know. what else what else is that troll going to do 11 <laughs> months out of the year? He's got to do something. True. Well, yeah, so I'm looking now. So Kansas State, believe it or not, so they're fifth, they're ranked 57 in Ken Palm, which is much higher than they've been in the past couple seasons, but it's mm-hmm. still worst in the Big 12. Yeah, and I don't know. I think crazy. this point in the season, some of those rankings still factor in last year's. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not gospel or anything, but. Right. Yeah, I'm looking like, you know, it looks like Iowa State's the next worst at 41. So after they play Radford, at least according to Ken Palm, they're not going to play anybody worse than 46 the whole rest of the season. And that's Florida. That's Florida yeah. there. So 
wow, you really got to bring it to have a winning record against that schedule. You know, my kind of expectation all season has been it would be good if Kansas State could finish not last. You know, everybody has that aim of let's be Iowa State from last year. We're bringing a whole new team, whole new coach. We make the Sweet 16. But what people really, I think, kind of forget about with Iowa State last year was they didn't finish conference play with the winning record. They did win 22 games, but they went 7-11 and 11 in the Big 12. Right. And they're a Sweet 16 team. It's hard, you know. And I think Jerome Tang is – He's got experience in the league. He's got Keontae Johnson. He's got Noel. I think you'll find a way to win, you know, between six and nine games. Where that ends up in the standings, I don't know. But if things break right and, you know, everything, yeah, I think they can finish better than six. Yeah. But if things go poorly, they can finish last, too. I'm just going to throw <laughs> yeah. it out there. It, it's a tough It's a tough conference. And I guess the one thing that does make you feel a little a little bit optimistic is we've seen TCU lose. We've seen Oklahoma lose. Oklahoma State, yeah, they might have a great Ken Palm, but they've lost too. So that's kind of where, where you're going to have to get your wins is, you know, maybe it's tough to go on the road and play KU. Maybe it's tough to go on the road and play Texas. But there's some wins out there. So if they can get them when they can, then, yeah, they can finish the middle of the pack for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think nine wins is probably the ceiling. I think nine wins probably gets you into – I mean – Honestly, it, the the Big Twelve is just gonna. Everybody's gonna just. Yeah. It, it's gonna be a war of attrition. I, I really think it is. I, I I think we could finish last in the conference and still be a top sixty team at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so hard those teams that are there. So I mean, I think that yeah, nine wins is nine wins is is the ceiling. I think we're gonna probably land five, six, you know, seven you know, somewhere in that range, I mean, I'll pull out a couple of upsets and that sort of thing, maybe get to that nine win mark. So I don't think we'll finish last. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. But I think saying that the ceiling is, is anything past fifth is absolutely disingenuous. Like yeah. take, take off the purple glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, would, I would agree. All right. Well, well, I'm going to point Pong, out. Since we're... Got him at, Ken Palm's got him at six right now. Projected okay. six wins. Which, that seems about right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think seven or eight, you know, honestly, I think most fans, they might, you know, bristle at that whole uh, sixth place thing. But I think if you said right now eight and 10, I think most fans would probably take that. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably that's probably going to land you in sixth place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and the NCAA tournament, though, probably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I am going to point out, since we're scanning Ken Palm here, I did notice <laughs> that your beloved Missouri Tigers, their non-conference strength of schedule oh, is 361st in the country. It's real bad. 363 teams in Division One basketball, yeah, I and think... they, there are two teams that have a worse non-conference <laughs> schedule than Missouri. I think, which, well, th- to be fair, though, they play Kansas this weekend, so that's going to go up a lot. That's going to go up a lot once they play that game. And then, then they get Illinois later, too. So... That's two games right there that are by far tougher than any game Kansas State plays in non-conference. Fair. Is it enough to get them over, get them over the 300 mark? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so far, I think the toughest game they've played is Wichita State. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Kellis. As always, it was fun. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, people can check out your stuff at KansasCity.com and Kansas.com. And then you're on Twitter at Kellis Robinettes. Anything else that the people should be looking out for right now? Any holiday specials? For subscriptions or... <laughs> no but if we come up with some amazing deal around new year's i'll let everybody know all right sounds good thanks a lot guys it was fun yep thank you yeah have a good one so yeah, we'll yeah.